0: Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Derek Kazmarek. Derek, are you ready to do this? Let's rock. Excellent, let's do this. Derek is an attorney with Dickinson Wright, specializing in tax litigation, including tax fraud, tax shelters, and abusive tax schemes. He spent seven years as a senior attorney with the Internal Revenue Service, more commonly known as the IRS. We're excited to have you on. Derek, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why it is you do what you do.
1: Sure, yeah. No, I uh, got uh, married to another tax attorney. I have Two kids, 14 and 10, that uh, try to keep me out of trouble, and they do a pretty decent job. And uh, I work trying to help people stay out of trouble with the IRS. Um, you know, we represent a lot of businesses and a lot of uh, small, medium-sized business owners as well. Um, generally, we don't see a lot of people get in trouble who are just your average W-2 employee because of withholding and... Uh, less opportunity for mischief. But other than that, we we cover the gamut of taxpayers.
0: Got it. And I imagine there are, I don't want to say limitless, but a lot of different ways that we can get ourselves in trouble with the IRS and the tax code because it is pretty complex. How common are audits?
1: Audits are uncommon, increasingly so. And actual in-depth audits are even less common. So the IRS year-over-year year audits about you know, 1% to 2% of all tax returns they receive. The difference is the way the IRS now defines an audit. An audit can be something as simple as, hey, you missed reporting at 1099 for $40 in interest that you received from XYZ Bank. They send you a little letter. You say, oh, yes, I owe another $4 or whatever it is, and that's considered an audit for the IRS. You know, The audits that most people are really scared of are either the audits where you've got a live revenue agent who is coming into your place of business, looking at all your documents and going through things with a fine-tooth comb, or an audit where an age, another individual is assigned, a live human being, and they're in a remote location usually in Utah or New York and they're doing what's called a correspondence audit where they're sending you questions you're sending them documents back in I would they don't break those numbers out as far as I've seen but I would guess that's less than half a percent of all returns that are audited and you also have to remember that there are certain clients like General Motors for instance who are under perpetual audit so those Count as well, where they've got IRS agents on staff, sitting in GM's uh, office auditing their returns. So the odds of you any one individual actually getting audited for any one particular year are pretty low.
0: Got it. That's it's interesting. I, I hadn't necessarily considered the fact that for all the Fortune 500 companies, they're probably. Many of them are probably just constantly interfacing with the IRS. So, interesting.
1: Yeah, no, they, at least with them, they they try to work with the IRS to make sure that everything sails through. I mean, I'm sure you saw the pictures of Donald Trump signing his tax return that was, you know, multiple feet high. You know, it's the same thing with a lot of these, you know, large companies. I mean, it's just the tax code is complex when you get companies that have, international exposure and number of factories and just a lot of activity, you're going to get these massive tax returns. And you you mentioned the tax code is really, really thick. There's a lot of room for interpretation, a lot of room for games, if you will. And, you know, the IRS can't keep up with everything, but with certain people because of, or certain companies, because of the amount of money that's at stake, you know, you do see them, you know, auditing on a continual basis.
0: Got it. So the seven years that you spent as a senior attorney with the IRS, tell us a little bit about that experience.
1: Well, that, that was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a great learning experience, too. You know, I started off as a trial attorney with the IRS in Las Vegas, Nevada. And as you might imagine, of all places to be an IRS attorney, that was one of the more interesting because of the creativity that's uh, so common in Las Vegas and the surrounding areas. Um, one of the great things about being an IRS attorney is I had cases as a new attorney that I had no business litigating Um, you know I would get cases with say seven hundred million dollars issue and here I was third or fourth year attorney against some of the top firms in the US and it just really gave me you know incredible experience Um, you know if I had gone the private practice route initially I would have been eighth or 10th chair on any kind of case like that, and I might have gotten to see the courtroom as I hauled boxes for the uh, trial attorneys, but you know, this way, you know, I got you know, thrown under the fire immediately, which was wonderful, and you know, the IRS really does a great job of training people. I think at the time, their slogan, was, you know, recruiting slogan, was a great place to start, which you know, kind of, <laughs> come on in, we'll train you, and you know, we know that a bunch of people are going to leave, and you know, the reality is... A lot of people do leave after uh, a few years working for the IRS. Um, again, some you know some stay and have great careers, but I really couldn't complain. I got to not only litigate, but I also got to teach new attorneys how to try cases, which was a big honor. You know, it's a week-long trial school, and you know, as one of the instructors, it was really flattering and a lot of fun.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I can't even imagine the the. Priceless—the priceless experience you got in that role. So
1: awesome. Yeah, well, it's it, and it's a lot easier than you know. Had I not done that, and had clients come in and say, "Hey, I'd like to," you know, I have a case against the IRS. Can you help me out? And I'd say, "Yeah, sure. I'd love to help you. But I'm going to charge you hundreds of dollars an hour. And by the way, it's my first case. You know, that—that's a tough sell. Whereas." So yeah, you know, we've seen 8 of these cases. I've won them. Here are the published opinions. You know, yeah, we can do this no problem.
0: So what's the difference between a traditional tax attorney and a tax controversy attorney?
1: Most most tax attorneys you're going to see are quote traditional tax lawyers. Um, they're going to do things like review a transaction. If you're one of your clients is buying a company, there's going to be this you know, written agreement to purchase the company. And the tax attorney is going to go through and review the various provisions and tell you where the holes are, where you're going to get tripped up. They'll look at transactions and tell you what the actual tax treatment should be. Um, they might also help you plan a transaction and say, okay, well, this is how most people do it. But if you you know, switch up the transaction a little, you can avoid you know, 20, 30% of taxes or something like that. So. That's what most people think of as a tax attorney. Other people think, oh, an estate planning attorney, somebody who is going to put together your, you know, will, your trusts, everything like that, is a tax attorney, which is accurate. But with me, I never see anything on the front end. I like to tell people, you know, I only see estate plans that are bad because they've been challenged by the IRS and tax transactions that are not good because you know the IRS has said, hey, we don't like this transaction. And that's not to say that the, my, my clients are wrong. In fact, I think we win most of our cases. So you know, ultimately, my clients are proven correct. But you know, I never see the vanilla things that just fly through. Um, we generally pick things up after the IRS has challenged a transaction, saying, "You know, we're going to audit you." And sometimes we will be brought in immediately at audit. Other times, I've been brought in as late as about six weeks before trial because. The attorney handling the case ultimately couldn't go to trial and didn't, you know, you know, couldn't settle the case. So we basically see the messes and try to clean them up, which you know, for me is, is a lot of fun. And you know, we really do a good job of helping people too. You know, when people come in, generally they're scared. I mean, you know, you've never heard of a warm and fuzzy IRS story, and you know, for the most part, it's true. You know, the IRS is designed to really scare the crap out of people, you know, because as we talked about earlier, the IRS can't audit every single return. They know that we know that. So they want to try to make an example of whoever they do audit. And because of that, you know, they try to create this fear. So everybody falls in line. Um, So I had a buddy who used to be a bouncer and he was told that, you know, before things got out of control, you just take one person down really, really hard. So that next guy says, I don't want to be that guy. And that's kind of what the IRS tries to do. Um, every year around tax time, there will be some big indictment of somebody. And hope, you know, the hope for the IRS is that they see that and say, oh, my gosh, you know, Wesley Snipes just went to prison for three years. I right. don't want to be him. I better make sure I do things right. And you know, for the most part, it's successful.
0: The IRS is trying to scare everybody straight, like that show they used to send – bad kids to prison to have the inmates scare them not nice
1: that that's just sad but, but true
0: nice all right so we we talked about how how they certainly don't have the ability to audit everybody but what what are the red flags that they look for how do they pick which returns to audit
1: first thing that they'll do is uh, you know Obviously, companies receive 1099s from other companies when they're doing business, and they, uh, the IRS also receives other information reporting. Um, for instance, they now receive a, it's a 1099K, which is a 1099 from credit card processors. So if you're running a business, you accept credit cards, let's say you're a restaurant, the IRS is going to know, hey, you had $1.5 million in receipts from credit cards this year. And they'll take a look at that and match that up to your industry, trying to figure out what you might have underreported, if anything. So if you reported I had uh, you know, 1.5 million in credit cards and $100 in cash and my business was a bar, guess what? You're getting audited because <laughs> the IRS knows that you know as a bar you're going to be 50 60 percent of your sales are cash so their algorithms will you know go ahead and red flag that return At the same time if you're that same bar and you say yes we made you know two million dollars this year but our cost for alcohol was 1.4 million dollars you're probably going to get audited because they know that you know that doesn't fit within the parameters of the IRS. Um, and that they will look at other expenses, and they'll know that certain expenses are going to be high. And sometimes with, say, a new business, your marketing expenses might be a little elevated because you're trying to bring in customers. So they will also have false red flags. Sometimes they'll get picked up prior to going out for audit. Other times they won't. You'll get contacted. And you'll have to provide information. Um, Generally, if you're if you're being aggressive, you're going to be okay. If you're getting overly aggressive, that's when the IRS's numbers really come into play and you you get picked up. Um, in, in the industry, we like to say that pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered, yes. and it really it is true. You know, when I was at the IRS, you know, I would see cases where we'd have a three year cycle, and the first year. You know, somebody may have had 125% of their expense. So, you know, if my expense a $100, I deduct $125. 2nd year, we, we put our foot in the water a little more, and it's $200. And by the third year, it's $400 for that same deduction that should be 100 And then the IRS's systems came in and said, oh, this number doesn't look good. And, of course, they picked up all three years rather than just one. And, unfortunately, you saw that a lot where – you know, people dip their toe in, to see how aggressive they can get, and you know, they continue to push the you know limits. And all of a sudden, they're getting audited. So it uh, you, you can be aggressive generally, but not not so far aggressive that you know the IRS assistance are going to kick in, and there's no actual rationale for the position you take.
0: Got it. So, what should I do? What should I not do when? the IRS comes knocking? Uh,
1: Generally, people's first call is to their, you know, their CPA or their tax preparer. That's a good call. You know, that's what you should do first. Um, You want to make sure to talk to them, figure out what's going on. You know, it could be something as simple as, hey, we didn't report a 1099. Let's fix that. Um, It could be as ugly as, oh my gosh, you know, my Offshore trust was unreported the IRS is sending two guys with badges and guns to come and talk to me um, but first thing to do is talk to one you know talk to your professional talk to the person who knows your return knows your business generally that's going to be your CPA sometimes it's your financial advisor or attorney and figure out what's going on. Um, I would not go in there and especially if you've been overly aggressive, like, Oh, we're going to, going to go in. We'll sweet talk this revenue agent and we'll be able to get out of it. Um, generally with the IRS, they find that the first meeting, the first conversation with a taxpayer is by far the most productive because they don't know what the topic is yet. The IRS generally has an idea of where they're looking and why. And you know, the, Individuals typically come in ill prepared and think that, hey, gosh, I'm a great salesperson. I've, you know, created a multi-million dollar company because I'm such a good salesperson. I can go in there and chat with the IRS, and you know, everything will be great. And generally, it's not. You need to take a step back and figure out what's going on and why.
0: Let's say you go in and and you have that initial conversation with the IRS, and you leave and you think, okay. I think that I need to bring somebody else in. I, I think that this is way more than I expected. Tell me, tell me a little bit about when you would recommend that they call you, for example.
1: If it's a typical, gosh, I forgot to report a 10.99. You know, you're probably wasting your money calling me. You know? I don't think my marketing department would want me saying that, but you know, that's the reality of it. Sure. If it's, if it's something where you know you've been overly aggressive and you're you're concerned about that, yeah, I, I would give me a call. Um, same time, if you have used your CPA to represent you at the audit and things don't appear to be going well, if the audit continues to expand in either scope or number of years, you, know, you might look to change strategies, try to figure out what they're doing and why to try to shut things down. Um, generally, you know, a CPA is going to try to, you know, get along with the revenue agent, the IRS, you know, they're going to say, Oh yeah, you need this. Sure. We'll we'll give you this information. And you know, that's the way they're trained. You know, on the other hand, you know, we'll try to figure out where the IRS is going, what they're doing and how best to combat that. It's almost like um, playing chess. You know, it's pretty hard to do if you don't know that that's the game you're actually playing. And a lot of times during audits, it's too late before you realize, oh, my gosh, that's the game we're playing, and I just lost. Right. And so so that would be a time. And, you know, other times if your CPA is doing fine, but all of a sudden something happened at the end of the audit and you get that notice saying, hey, you owe $500,000. You have 90 days to contest that. Certainly at that point, you know, I would recommend calling somebody. I mean, you know, in the state of Arizona, I think we have – what I've been told about 20% of the tax, you know, U S tax court litigation, Um, not because our clients are all awful, but just because, you know, there are only a few people in the state that do this kind of stuff. So it's just almost a numbers game. Um, But yeah, that that certainly is our sweet spot as well is helping people in U S tax court litigation. So if it ever gets to that, yeah, feel free to call me and we can certainly help.
0: Well, Derek, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them?
1: The first thing, uh, my basic tip is don't put your head in the sand. You know, figure out what to do. You know, the IRS is certainly not going to go away. You know, they're, (laughs) they're big, they've been around for a long time, and they can certainly make your life hell if you do put your head in the sand. And the worst cases we see... Are where businesses have just put their head in the sand, thinking, "Gosh, the IRS is going to go away, and this will all be over." And it never is. At the same time, it's never as bad as you might think it is. So, well, not putting your head in the sand. Don't you know go along whistling merrily and thinking, "Oh, gosh, this is all going to be great too." Because you do need to do some work to make sure that. You, know, you don't have a problem five years down the road because you've just agreed to stuff that you shouldn't have and you'll never be able to get out of it financially. So there's a middle ground there. Use the middle ground and you should be fine.
0: Excellent. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure.
1: <laughs> that is, that's an understatement when it comes to the IRS.
0: Well, that is great stuff. I think that, that definitely gets a Come on.
1: Come on. So Derek, oh, thank you so thank much you. for I appreciate.
0: It. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you?
1: Uh, you can go to www.dickinsonwright, D i c k i n s o n. W r i g h t. dot com.
0: Excellent, and we will certainly list that in the notes of the show. And I definitely encourage everybody, if you have an inkling of a a question. If you should be reaching out to Derek, you should probably reach out and uh, pick his brain or just shoot him an email and ask him a question. So well, Savage Nation. If you enjoyed this as much as I did show Derek, your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Thank you again, Derek.
1: Well, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it.
0: And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together.